Good morning. Happy New Year. (laughs) Why do we greet one another with phrases like that? Good morning. What is good about the morning? Uh, Happy New Year. What what is happy about the new year? Well, some suggestions. From earlier this week, last week, I was walking in the church parking lot. It was dark. Then it was light. This is the light I saw. Good morning. Is it up there? Okay. (laughs) It's not back there. (laughs) Yeah. So I walked around the parking lot and I tried to get different vantages. I tried to get Mount Hood. I tried to get Helen and, and the light and the refraction, reflection, and it was glorious and it reminded me of the mercies of God that are fresh and that are new every morning. Um, That is a good morning. The mercies of God, right now, right here, are new today. But before that, we had an ice storm, and that ice storm portended what I consider to be a happy new year. It looked like an ice rink. I got here quite early, and it was exceedingly slippery, and so I got out of my car, and I fell down, and I slid down the hill. And I did something I hadn't done since I was six years old. I did a worm crawl. So I'm doing a worm crawl until I get back to the bumper of my car. I get back to the bumper of the car. I grab it. I stand up. And then I skate across the parking lot. So then Ben Rico arrives. And I threw down a challenge. I told Ben that I would buy him lunch. If he would stand on his feet and slide down the hill backwards without falling. Here it is. Right. This is the breakfast challenge. I will buy Ben breakfast. Or, yeah. You got your helmet on? Backwards. Backwards. <laughs> That's too easy. Yeah. What do you think? Do I owe him lunch? You are so gifted. <laughs> yes, that 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 was a, a lot of fun, unless I were the one on the hill going backwards. What does it mean to have a, a good morning or a, a happy new year? Well, we engage... Uh, a book in the coming weeks and months that if we embrace, if we step toward it, if we listen, lean in to these words, then we will have a a good day and a healthy sense and we will have a happy year as God defines it, not necessarily as we would expect or we would desire or we would want. If you take your Bible and if you open to the book of First John, we're going to take these next weeks. We're going to look carefully at this book and this last Friday morning. <clears throat> the men that meet with me, the first things first group, 
we tasted of this meal. Because what we do is we gather and we open the Word of God and I do most of the listening. I, I listen to their observations, their interpretation, their understanding that this is what the passage is intended to say to us. And then we transfer it. We, we transfer it to, okay, how should we then live? And so I did a lot of listening this, this last Friday morning, and it was absolutely a blessing. It was a feast. One of the things that we did that I don't often do is we read the whole book. So I had five different people read each chapter, five chapters, and we just kicked back, and we closed our eyes, and we listened while others read. And the last line in the entire book stood out. The very last sentence. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. What's that mean? Well, First John is a book about love. And it is a book about the ultimate loves of the heart. And that the ultimate love of the heart will shape our heart and shape our life and shape our choices and shape our decisions. And our life is comprised of decisions and those decisions have consequences and those consequences impact and influence and shape those that we know and those that we love. And so he writes this letter, this book that is absolutely loaded with what it looks like to be loved by God and to love God and to love others. And then he lands it. He sticks the landing. Guard. What? Your heart. From idols. And an idol can be a good thing. An idol can be a wonderful thing. An idol can be something God invented, something God created, something that God entrusted to us. Guard your heart from idols so that the ultimate love of our heart will be our love for God. And that will transform, that will change, that will totally rework our life. I mean, that last line in the book of 1 John is, is, is like kaboom. Guard your heart. Don't give it to anyone or anything else. Above all else, give it to God. Why? Well, we rightfully worship the Son of God. Just Go up into 1 John a little bit. We're going to work our way from the back to the front. 1 John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Eyes open. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. We have on the loose an evil that is beyond anything that we have fully experienced, but that is disruptive, is divisive, and influential in the ways and the minds of human beings in this world, in this place. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And what about us? 
Are we victims? Are we helpless? No. Verse 20. We know. This is the book about knowing. You see the word again and again and again and again. This is what we know. This is how we know. And because we know, this is how we can live. And so he writes, we know that the Son of God has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We can know the true God. We can know the truth as communicated to us by the true God. That's why I like to say the Jesus Christ of the Bible, because there are a lot of Jesuses that people talk about. This is the true Jesus Christ of the Bible. And we can know him. We can know him. He is accessible, knowable, relational. And when we come into a right relationship with him, then we're in a right relationship with our heavenly father. And as in a right relationship with our heavenly father, then we can be in a relationship with other Followers of the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That's what First John is about. How to know God, how to know Jesus, how to know one another, and how to love just like we're loved. We can know. Check out chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life. So we believe in this Jesus, and then you and I are given that which we don't deserve, and that is life right now, forever life, eternal life, life that we have yet to fully experience, but in Christ one day will experience. So that this life is not all there is. And so John presents to us this transcendent expectation and anticipation. Use our life, live our life rightly and well right now where we are. Yield to his word, say yes to the spirit of God. And you and I, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done, you and I have a guaranteed future with God that he calls eternal life. There's more. Go to the previous chapter, chapter 4, verse 19. I'm fairly confident that there are people here who feel unlovable. That I need to do something. I need to do something more to earn God's love, to earn his attention so that he will love me in the way that I desire to love and I've never felt love like that. And there are people here this morning, probably, who have felt like that. First John 4, 
19. We love because he first loved us. So he initiates, he inaugurates, he is defined as this God who loves. He loved you, he loved us. And because he loved us, now you and I have the Spirit of God. We've confessed faith in God. And he catalyzes love in us for others. So that we teach and talk about evangelism all the time in the church. But the language of evangelism is the language of God's love for us and the way God loves others in and through us. With your children, your siblings, people who may be more lovable and people who may be less lovable. Do you think God would, on our own credit and space, find all of us lovable people? Do you, do you think that he, he loves us because there's something in us that just attracts him to us? No. He initiates. He loves. It's his choice. And he loves us And now that transaction of the love of God, embraced, recognized, affirmed, received, now that transacts us, transforms, better said, so that now we are not only expected by God to love, as we'll see again and again in this book of 1 John, but we can love because we are loved. So to rest in the love of God, which is for our good, not for our harm. Nothing is beyond his influence or power. He loves. God demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love But for us to really love, we must first believe that we are loved. And that we are loved by this Jesus. That we are loved by this God. This book also presents our confidence. Why you and I can have confidence in who we are. We may feel like we're losing the battle or losing the war or facing things that are way beyond us that we've never experienced and don't know what to do, but check out 1 John 4.4. I love the way he calls us little children. Isn't that incredible? Again and again throughout the book, 
we are his children and we are children of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible uses the word children of God in some different ways, but the most intimate way and right relational way is that if we have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, then we are children of God. And Romans 8 tells us we can now call God Abba, dearest Father. It is a right that is earned for us by Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. You are from God, for four little children, and have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. And He's talking about people who deny Jesus Christ as being of God, from God, Son of God. And so he's pointing out error, and that's a big part of the book, is how to know the difference between truth and false, between dark and light, between the way of Jesus and the way of the evil one. In fact, the book is very mathematical in a sense. It's very binary. It's either or, and that either or is going to present some of us with some troubling tensions and questions about the book and about the words that we're about to read. There's also a tension in the book between this moment and what's next. Big tension between right now the work of God in your life, in your family, your experience, you're awake, you're asleep, the work of God and who we are and what God's up to. What is he going to do next? Well, that's at the end of First John chapter 2. If we were to keep paging backwards in our Bibles, we would come to First John Chapter 2, and here's what we read in verses 15 to 17. We read this. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pause. What's the last line in the book? Remember? Guard your heart from idols. That is to to love that which belongs to God alone. Even though God may have given us a wonderful gift. He says here, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Lust of the eyes? Remember that. Because he starts the book by talking about our eyes. And what we're looking at. And he repeats himself on what we see. What he saw. And what he knows because of what he saw. So that you and I, when we park our heart with God, when we abide in Him, we see that in the New Testament often, in John 15, other places, where we plug our, our, 
spiritual and emotional umbilical cord in, into who he is, deriving our nourishment and our strength and from him in the moment in his spirit. And we give of ourselves to him so that you and I can say yes and have the power to say yes to the Spirit of God and obedience to God so that we're not overcome by the world because of who we have in us. The end of chapter 1, probably memorized by many, if not most of you, the beginning or the end of chapter 1, which we'll get to next week in greater detail, but verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Light, dark, truth, lie. We can deceive ourselves by saying that we don't have any sin. We can put a move on ourselves. Verse 9, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think this is one of those verses, one of those true statements that is really hard for most of us to truly embrace and believe. That's why we look for other mechanisms to kind of atone or pay for what we have done that we we are convicted about. We know it's uh, sin. But... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and righteous to fully and completely forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And only God can do that. And that's God's instant, everyday invitation to all of us. And it's God who does it so that he cleanses us. So that we don't need to live in fear or anxiety or wondering what's going to happen to us next but truly resting and trusting in this total inside-out cleansing forgiveness that God offers to us through Christ. And then he says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So honesty and humility are a priority to God. That, that we would not pretend, that we would not put on the external, that we would not try to fake other people out. First verse, verse 8, we fake it ourselves out. Verse 9, we do business with God and we confess our sin to God. And then verse 10, it's like we're trying to fake others out. So let's be honest with him. He's approachable. He's right. He's good. He's true. He can be trusted. He is the God who loves. And that's how we begin the book. We've worked our way from the back of the book to the front. Sometimes I like to start with the back of the book. (laughs) I like to hear the end of the story. But here we have these first four verses in which John tells us this is how we know. You know, sometimes people talk about faith and they talk about how some people say the craziest things about Jesus. Like uh, the stupidest things like, 
I shouldn't use that S word, but they, they say things like he never lived, he never existed, and the historical record is overwhelmingly affirmative as to who Jesus is and that he walked on this earth and that he was born a babe and that he grew up and that he died. You can find pagan Roman um, and pagan Jewish historians and writers who they they verify they say yes this this is what happened they just don't buy the why well here's the why verses one to four what was from the beginning what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Underlying that verse, that line. We proclaim to you also. Because everything said before that leads up to that verb. Proclaim. They're going to tell us. That's his job. That's what he's going to do. And he's saying that I was there. I had boots on the ground. I saw it. I know. And I'm going to tell you what I know with certainty. Not some sort of guesswork. I was there. We proclaim to you also, why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Happy New Year. Our joy can be complete. What kind of joy? Verse 1. What was from the beginning? This is not the first book that John wrote, and it's not the last book he would write. The first is the Gospel of John. And he goes, in the beginning was the Word. And that is, beginning is eternity past. In eternity past, there has never been a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. He is eternal. And Jesus Christ, who is eternal, he became like us but without our stuff. He lived a life without sin, and he died for our sin, and he is raised to life. And from the beginning, from before time began, that was the intent and purpose of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And here, John says, in the beginning, what was from the beginning? And then he uses hearing what we have heard. So he heard the voice of Jesus. He heard the voice of Jesus. James and John were among the first to follow Jesus. I love the story of John. Don't have time to go through the whole story of John. John spends all of his time telling the story of Jesus. But if, if we were to listen to the words of John, John was there. He's the one who he, he wrote in, in John 10, quoting Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Here. We heard. We heard. We heard his voice. We looked at him. We had eyes on him. 
is visual. We, we touched him. We sat shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and we, we sat in the boat with him. We, we touched him. <laughs> we touched him with our hands concerning the word of life. He is word, and his word is life. And by God's grace, we have the word of life right here. It is a transforming, shaping, touching word of life. We have so many ministry opportunities for people to engage the word of God. We have opportunities for people on the younger end, children's ministries, middle school, high school, young adults, women, Monday nights, Tuesday mornings, men, Saturday mornings, Friday mornings, Thursday mornings opportunities for us to gather and together to fellowship with one another in a way that actually practices these opening verses of 1 John. This fellowship is not, you know, donuts and coffee. Fellowship is a connection with another for a, a purpose that's greater than us so that there is a cause and that's what John practices here, and that is his fellowship is with the Father, and in that fellowship, that that common connection, his job is to proclaim the word of life. That's his job. So that's what fellowship means. It means that we are in fellowship with the Father. We are in fellowship with others who confess Jesus Christ. We're in fellowship with the Son. And He gifts to us a common purpose. And that purpose ultimately is fulfilled in proclaiming the gospel of God and glorifying the God who saves us. John knew Jesus as well as everyone. But when he wrote this, he didn't know Jesus as well as he would. None of us do. He wrote this. I, I, I saw him. I sat next to him. You know, I went to sleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm embarrassed. I went to sleep. The only male disciple at the cross, Jesus, John, take care of my mom. Take care of my mother. John saw the resurrected Jesus. John ate the meal that would last by the Sea of Galilee. He still didn't know all there is to know of Jesus. Until in Revelation 1, he tells us that he saw the glorified Jesus. And it wrecked his nervous system. And he fell on his face. And then Jesus touched. Stand, John. Which a friend of mine likes to say, standing before Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, is the rightful posture of everyone who is in Christ. So John writes of Jesus, and he writes of this fellowship, and he writes of this life, and he writes of eternal life, and it's manifested or made known to John, and then John is going to 
make it known to others as she does to us in verse 3 for the purpose that we may have fellowship with him, with John, and with one another, and with his son Jesus Christ, and with the Father. So that now we have this, not just a connection, that's not a good enough word. We have a partnership, and that's not a good enough word. We have a purpose in which we are bought with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ so that we can so love him and live for him that we announce to others just who he is. And that's why he closes with verse 4. He says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. That's why he lives. That's his heart's desire. That's why he ends with guard your heart from idols. It won't bring joy. It's just counterfeit. It's it's a love that is, is incomplete. The love that is complete is this love, the love with which we are loved, that draws us in to a life that is significant and valuable and meaningful and has a God-given purpose. That's why we live. So my hope is that in the coming months and the coming years that you and I would so lean in to the word of life that we would embrace what God has said about who he is, his His word has life-transforming power in us, corrects all the stuff that we might think in a given day, tells us the truth so that we can tell ourselves the truth. That's the word of life. My hope is that today would be a good day and that this year would be a, a happy year. Not free of sadness or disappointment, but a year that is defined by the word of life. And the word of life gives life now and forever. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you communicated with us, that you explained who you are to us in part through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can know you and fellowship with you and fellowship with the Father. Thank you that right now you're at the right hand of of the Father. You are our advocate, that you are our defender, that you speak for us, that you have lived for us, that you are faithful to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.